Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. The Band of Brothers is the men's ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. The we are on right now is Winning at Work and Home. And we are being led by Pastor Greg Mott, Jason Swigert, Eric Reed, Ben Pritchett, and several other ministers from the church. We're glad you're joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day. I guess he's not going to, yeah, he's he's in route. I know it is. We were going to dial him in here. Is that Travis? No, okay. I'm sorry. Hey, let's. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pray real quickly. Um, thank y'all for weathering the incredibly uh, ferocious winter front that's come through here. And we built this huge snowman in our backyard last night. It was about about three and a half inches tall. That thing was like really scary looking. We put some toothpicks in for arms, and uh, we took a couple of little pea gravel things, and it it, it was too heavy, and it fell over, but. It was really awesome. The kids were having a great time in it. So let's let's pray. Um, Father God, thanks for this day. Thank you for your love. God, thanks that we have uh, jobs that we go and, and work at. And uh, God, we don't want to be totally identified there. But God, we, we recognize your call in our life as, as men. And as men, we're called unto work. And at work, God, may we be men that are about your kingdom far more than uh, just the bottom line, far more than just making a buck. Um, God, thanks for this weather. What a great reminder that uh, Christmas came as a surprise uh, at the very first, the very first one. And God, last night, that was a great surprise, uh, just seeing white everywhere here in Houston. Um, Lord, we love you. ask you to speak clearly through me and through your word and to each of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to move pretty quickly. Last, last week, we had some time of prayer um, for... For Ashley uh, Rose and, and her three daughters, um, on behalf of, of Reb Rose, and we, we prayed for them. And not that we're going to stop and pray for them now, but if you would continue to lift that family up. Some of you have asked if you could help in any way uh, financially. And, and in other things, they got a couple of emails, and I didn't have answers for you then, but I will have some uh, later. Uh, I do want to remind you also, if you're just coming in, there are CDs that we mentioned last week at the very back from Father's Day that have a message on work that if you had a lot of coworkers, you wanted to take one or 10 or 20, there's a hundred of them back there. So please grab what you need, what you want to use and, and do that. Um, we're going to start on page 64. We're going to wrap up on, uh, I think it's called a man and his work and, and just sort of getting up to speed to where we were. It said the scripture affirms those motivations. If you remember, there were some of the motivations were just Surely financial, but then it moved to, you know, more of the, the philanthropy and then it moved to purpose. And I sort of asked you all to, to identify where you were in your motivation at work. And, and I certainly hope as we add in there, we see all of them are scriptural, but the more of them that you have, the more motivated we'll be at work. The third deal we saw was that the, the more motivation gives us a bigger perspective on the job that we have. And then that the more success that we experience in each of those motivations, the more fulfilling work becomes. Those are sort of the, the four things we saw. And I want to jump now to say that no matter what your motivation is, there are, <clears throat> there are six things that every man, in a sense, would sort of want from work. And I want us to, to hit those very quickly. The first is success. I mean, just raise your hand if you enjoy being a failure, you know. It's, it's, it's common sense. We love to be accomplished at whatever it is. <clears throat> and I would say very, uh, 
Very honestly to you, an area almost every man needs is at least one friend in their life that, yes, they affirm when they're doing well, but they could also say, hey, I, I think you're not in an area that you're really most gifted at. And, and what I mean by that is we could choose a lot of vocations. I could have chosen any field to be in, but if I'm miscast in that role because of my skill sets, not in, it's not about intelligence. It's not about I'm wired up a certain way, and if a job doesn't involve service to people, I look back over everything I've ever done from the time I was 10 years old and started mowing grass in the neighborhood. It's always been about serving people. If you put me in a cubicle and you gave me a spreadsheet inside my heart, I would just, I would, I would be screaming, like just no. And yet some of you are wired, and if you're in that setting, you're, you're thriving on it, and you're going for it, and it, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. Well, you need to know how you're wired up, and so friends can help you in that arena so that we can be most successful. This is, this is Travis. Let's see what he's. Hey, Travis, you, wait a minute. You there? I'm here. Hey, you, just say hi real quick, and, and we're actually teaching the lesson now. Oh, Eric, there's blinding snow squalls. I, I, I'm going to be late. It's awful. Okay. Yeah, listen, and, and you probably didn't know it was coming. We all knew about the winter storm, but you didn't. Yeah, probably. why didn't somebody tell me about this? Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, Pete said he called you last night and uh, that, that you aren't there, but he's from Michigan, Pete said, so that's why he's here. Yeah. He actually walked here. Yeah, actually, we were in College Station last night and almost didn't make it home. It was so bad. A true story there. Really? You're, you're not lying? Yeah. Okay, well, you... that up. Hey, when but you... I'll see all of it. Hey, we've saved you at least 30 or 40 breakfast burritos, so you just show up yeah. and, and we're going to feed you because we love you. Okay, love yeah. you too. We missed you. Bye-bye. Okay, that's Travis Herzog. All right. Hey, the, uh, the, second, thing, the second thing we, we would like is recognition. Uh, there was a Gallup poll that was actually taken of administration, like management and workers. And they asked, they had them rank. There were like 10 variables and they had them rank what mattered the most to you at work. And the management sort of sifted all these out. And guess what the number one thing was from the management that they said that their average employee really wanted? It was, it was money. The, the pay was the most important thing, the manager said, for their employees. Now, when they asked the employees, these are people like us, what was the most important thing for you at work? Guess what it was? It was recognition for a job well done. And so you may not be in that percentile, but for most of us at work, if we've done something well, we're working hard on a project, that project gets finished if the CEO or the team captain alone takes credit for that, that's one of the most frustrating experiences you could ever have because you want some recognition for what you've labored on. The third deal is we want a good fit. And, and this comes into, again, knowing yourself. And I tell you, if you took your, your first you know, 10 years of your employment to figure out how you're wild, wired, your personality, your motivation, your strengths and your weaknesses – and yes, you were paying your bills and all that. That wouldn't be a bad first 10 years coming out of college so that from age 30 on, you are focused in on what you're really good at and you're doing it then. Some of us waste tons of time because our dad wanted us to be a doctor. 
or our great-grandfather had a family business and we're in our duties, we are doing the family business, but in our heart, maybe we want to teach art. Who knows? It's like being misfit, it doesn't matter how much you get paid, there's going to be a sense of disconnection between you and what you do. The third deal is fair compensation. Raise your hand if you like to be fairly compensated for your hard work. <clears throat> okay, we don't have to say anything else about that one. That, that's, that's there. Uh, e, community. I've had, a, I've had one type of job, and I actually did it at two different places. And my experience was totally different. In one place, it was, it was very top-down driven. You couldn't voice dissent. You couldn't share an idea. If it wasn't the boss's idea, it wasn't really good. Take it to the second place I worked, same exact job, same type of job description. I could speak into the process. I could go to the boss and say, hey, listen, I, I really am not comfortable what we're doing right now. I don't know if this is where we need to be headed. I didn't lose my job. I didn't get docked. No one, tr no one put me in a corner. That type of work environment fits me well. I want to be able to speak into the process. There's also a sense of camaraderie that came out of that, where we all were contributing, so there was this sort of a team feel. I would have taken a 10 or 15% pay cut just to be in an environment like that. Now, I wouldn't have told my boss that, but I would have taken a pay cut. Now, a lot of you are probably that same way, that you want a community you can be a part of, and that's normal for us. E or F, six, is balance. And my wife will tell you, and probably most of you in here struggle with this area. Uh, if you smell success, if you smell accomplishment, if you smell whatever, it can fuel you for a long, long time to get tunnel vision and to go for it. And so these are things that men, we want out of, out of our jobs. And now for us to get what we really want from work, I want to I share real quickly with you that there are, number one, we need a higher view of work. And in just a minute, we're going to spend the last 70% of our time here together focused on a higher view of work. There was a story of three bricklayers. And on these three bricklayers, the, the, the very first bricklayer, a man came up to him and he says, what are you doing? And, and the first bricklayer said, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And he said, great. So he went down to the second bricklayer and he said, what are you doing? And the second bricklayer said, I'm making a wall. And he went to the third bricklayer was there, and he says, what are you doing? And he said, I am making the most glorious cathedral to the honor and to the worship of the Lord. Now, which of these three guys had a higher purpose in what they were doing? And when you think about your work, if you relegate it to, I'm just, uh, I'm just balancing the spreadsheet, you know? I'm just looking, I'm just recruiting a new guy for, for my job here. I'm just recruiting a new person in. Or I'm just wiring up the network. Or I'm just trading energy. If that's all it is, then I'm assured one thing, and that is that probably there's going to be a little discontent and a lot of frustration that you're going to go through over the next several years of work until you get a higher view of work. And in that higher view of work, I'm going to say it, it actually needs to be probably God's view on work. And I told you in just a minute, after we finish this list, we're going to jump into that. And how do you unpack that? How do you get that? The second deal is we need a courageous approach with work. And what I mean by that is that we won't settle 
for a job that is a mismatch. I'm not saying a perfect fit, but I'm saying there are jobs that we are totally not wired up for. And if we sit there and we, we spend a decade there, we will have burned a decade most likely. And that we would be courageous enough to actually step out to say, God, I, I know this isn't a perfect fit, but it's a pretty good fit for me. And I, and I think this is where I need to be. So I'm going to float my resume that way. And even though it's scary to, to go from what I know to what I don't know, if they say yes, I'm going to go because I just I have to know this is a better fit for me. And I want to take that step. I want to be courageous there. Um, I have no regrets and I don't recommend it. But when I left teaching and coaching, I didn't have my resume together and I didn't have a job lead. But I knew that I needed to move on. Now, I'm not recommending that to anybody. But I'm really thankful that I did that. It was what I needed to do at the time. And it was scary. I had two kids at the time and we had a mortgage. Um, my wife was staying at home. But I, I felt very sure of, of what God had spoken into my heart. That for four years I fought it. And I was finally like, okay, God, you know, I'm just going to step out here. I don't know what you got for me. But you're telling me over and over and over, move on. And so having some courage in your work and not being afraid of that is a good thing. Don't settle for anything less than the right fit. And it's not perfect. There's not a perfect job. <clears throat> See, we want a broader understanding of work. Work is more than just work. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So who you are is as important as what you do. I mean, please don't hear anything other than that. Um, too many of us define ourselves merely by our job. And then when we retire or then when we lose our job, or then when we get demoted instead of promoted or whatever, all of a sudden we've lost. We were like, oh, what, who am I? What am I doing? And then I uh, think lastly, D, we need a more purposeful interaction at work. And so just look over those four things. My deal is if these four things are happening, you're going to be unleashed at work. Just life as you know it as a cog in a machine will be over. And you will begin to see a, a wider, broader, more purposeful deal going on around that at work. And those are eternal, purposeful things. And, and I said this last week, I'll say it again. The only thing you'll ever work with that doesn't have a shelf life is the human soul of another person. Everything else will expire. And yes, people will die. But if you read scripture, you know and I know that the soul will go on. It will either rest with God in his presence, or it will not. And so purposeful interactions at work with an eternal perspective matters. Your coworkers, uh, the, the Taco Cabana people that come and service food, the reason I talk to them, the reason we should love on them and encourage them and wish them happy, happy, you know, Merry Christmas or whatever, is because they have an eternal destination. And we have got to be purposeful. We need more men Purposeful, And we'll look at the very end, we're going to look at one man's life. And I'll just share a historical testimony of what happened when one guy in, quote, the secular world had purpose in what he did and how he changed the society. And it's a, it's a great, great story. So in conclusion, let me just say this on the, the wrapping up the last week. Your work matters to God, period. Your work matters to God. I want to I want to. Change over now to, to section or session 12, two visions of work. And there are two primary visions of work at operation in America today. And we're going to look at both of those. And, and they're basically 
their vision's not from our eyes. We all see, you know, whether you punch a time card or have a salary, we see work, but it's in our mind that we formulate what we see. And so our perspective on work, these are two big perspectives. And the very first one is, is probably the prevailing view of work today. And that is that work is a concession to life. We do work in order to live. We do work in order to play and to have stuff and to one day retire. Historically, from the Greeks and the Hebrews into Rome and into the Middle Ages, work was not something that real people should do in life. In fact, in Rome, if you were a citizen, you didn't work. That's what the slaves were for, right? In the Middle Ages, if you weren't a monk or a priest, your job was just not good. I mean, it wasn't anything honorable at all. And this is sort of in history. In Greek, the word for labor, for work, was actually the word for sorrow. It was the rooted, the rooted in the word of sorrow. And so all the way back throughout history until after a historical event called the Reformation, work was seen as a concession to life. I do this and one day I'll start to live. And so... Out of that, we get this idea of it's just a job, and we hear this every day. I hear this, you hear this, and maybe you've said this before. You know, it's just a, just a job. I don't care. It's just a job. And the second thing is, it's a necessary means to the things I really want. Nothing wrong with that, totally. We already said that, that God affirms in Scripture that, if hey, you should provide for your family. So at the basis level, it's a provision. But we've also said there are other motivations that we add on to that. Uh, Gallup did a study recently, and here's what they found. They found that 50% of all the people in the workplace are, quote, not engaged in their jobs personally. What that meant was they aren't psychologically connected to their work. They show up, they do their job, and they head home. Now, they want to do well, but it means nothing to them. More tragic than that is that 22% are not actively engaged with their jobs. And what that meant was they basically wanted two things, they said. We want a paycheck and we want comfort. We could care less about our performance. Just sort of keep me comfortable and give me a paycheck and I'm out of here. I just, I clock it, I clock out, and I'm there. And so that is, just you can do the math. Like 72% of the people in the workplace right now are operating in one of those two views of work. How much satisfaction do you think they have? How much motivation do you think they have? How much honor do you think God gets from how they're going through their normal day? And, and that might be where you are. And I'm not casting stones from here today, but I'm saying there can be something. And I believe God intends there to be something more than just a paycheck. And I know that paychecks are important, and especially in our economy, you know, so don't hear me saying it's not. <clears throat> the third deal here, the ultimate goal, and this comes out of the first two. The ultimate goal is not to work, but to retire. We've got people age 23 figuring out their 401k so they can retire when they're 43 or when they're 50. In other words, they're, what they're wanting to say is, I will be a cog in a machine and I will not fully engage at work and I will not be fully alive and I will wait on life until 
I'm 50 or I'm 60 and then I'll live life. Then I'll have my life. Now, what happens if they die at 35 and they waited to have life because work was merely work? They had nothing, no connection to God at work. For most of us, if we were to be honest, that's sort of how we've been wired. That's how we've been educated. It wasn't always that way for people. It wasn't always that way. The highest end of man was not to retire. Read the scriptures and find it there for me. The highest and the chief end of man is not retirement. We're going to talk about why that is in just a minute. Now, I'm not saying ignore saving for retirement, ignore planning ahead. Scriptures are real clear. We want to provide for our families. We want to store up for times that maybe there isn't as much provision, right? There's a balance. But I know way too many people that are looking at being 40 to 50 and being done. And they're basically on hold right now. And so the rest of the morning, I hope to convince you that there is a higher view of work. And that's what we're going to move on to. Instead of work being a concession, work is a calling from God. Work is a calling from God. In fact, there's a word that we throw around. And that word is vocation. What what is vocation? What is vocation? Okay, it's a type of job. It, it it's it's what we do. But guess what? It comes from. It comes from a Latin word, vacare, that means call. Vocation is, by definition, a calling, an urging, a prompting to something. Now, if you're going to say work is a calling, well, we, got, we have a, a more fundamental question than that then. Like if Travis got a phone call on his cell phone and he answers the phone, what does he expect? There should be somebody that placed the call there, right? If vocation is really a calling, perhaps there is a call giver. And I'll say as believers, you can read the scriptures, and I think it's pretty clear that that's the Lord God Almighty, that there's a calling. And you're going to say, now, wait a minute. I'm in the stock exchange and finance. You can't tell me that God calls people to that. You probably mean that's just for apostles or for Bible teachers. But, you know, I, you know, I, I run an automotive place, and that That's not, God didn't call me to that. There's not a calling. And I'm going to tell you, apart from immorality, I believe every job is a call from God. And we're going to, we're going to look at why I say that in just a minute. So whatever job you have, whatever field you're in, the higher view of work says that that is a calling from God. In fact, I was at my college roommate's almost said funeral, it was his wedding this weekend in Dallas, and that's not a Freudian deal. Um, and we were up there, and he runs hospitals. That's, he's a hospital minister. He's been doing that since his mid-20s. He was one of the youngest guys in New Orleans to get his own hospital, and then he had two, and then he went to Las Colinas and, and ran a network there, and now he's over a struggling hospital in Louisville, and he's turning the whole thing around. It's a huge hospital, but he had had all these nice new facilities, and now he he inherited sort of two years ago this really rundown, old, no motivation, 
type of hospital, and he's really turning it around. And to hear and to meet the people that he's worked with was amazing. He's making a huge difference, not just on the spreadsheet bottom line of a hospital. He's making a big difference in the families of the workers because he's treating them like people created by God. He's got vision for what he's doing, and it's really exciting. And has he been compensated nicely? Oh, man, yeah, you know, unbelievably so. Does he just hoard it, not, you know, not help? No, he's generous. He's my age. He's incredibly wealthy, very successful. He's got a bigger vision than what a lot of us bring into our jobs. And so work as a calling is really, really important. And I want to get some scriptural views on that. We said last week that from the very beginning, God was at work, that God created the heavens and the earth. So God is working at the very beginning. It doesn't matter where you put your finger in scripture, God will be at work. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. God actually delighted in labor and what he had created Genesis 2, 2. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Yes, there was a time for rest in the economy of God. And he actually passed that on to Israel and they called it the Sabbath. And they passed it into Israel and they called it the Sabbath year. And he passed it on to Israel and they called it the year of Jubilee. Those things are in scripture because it reflects God's heart. But those were the exception years, not the normal years, right? In other words, six days, hit it hard and work. One day, dedicated unto me. Trust me enough to not work seven days a week. Trust me enough to actually give or to tithe into the storehouses of God. Trust me enough, God said. And so in here, God is a worker. Psalm 111 summed it up. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work. If you were to talk to countless of the tens and hundreds of thousands of physicists, biologists, chemists, molecular biologists throughout history that had faith in God and you asked them, hey, tell me. Tell me about God. They would say, man, he is an amazing worker. He is an amazing designer. Look at what exists and look at how it functions. This isn't a God that just flung something together, hopped down on the the little lazy boy chair and just said, enough. It's a God that's involved deeply in the work that's going on. And guess what Christmas marks? His work in the heart and the souls of humanity to redeem those that were lost and broken and dying, right? His labor isn't just about stuff. It's about souls. Because he knew when he created each of us, our souls don't expire. Everything else will. And so in here, no doubt God is a worker. Second deal, God created man as his co-worker. As his co-worker. Listen to this. 
This is from David. What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than God or than the angels is another translation. And you crown him with glory and majesty. And here it is. You make him to rule over the works of your hand. Remember in the garden, Adam was called to subdue the earth, right? It was a sense of dominion, a sense of rulership, stewardship, all of that. Psalm 8, why were we made? It doesn't say just one man. It doesn't say just Adam. This is for all of us, mankind, humanity. We are to co-work with God. And that's a great deal. That's a great deal. So in here, it says Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here it is. God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So when we have been, in a very right sense, employed by God, it's into things that he's already designed for us. In other words, something that he could call us into. Not just something that we stumble upon, something we're called to. And so for some of you, you might be saying, well, what about the curse? What about the fall when Adam stepped out of God's, in a sense, blessing? And so in here, what about the curse? Well, real clearly, work was God's will for Adam, not God's curse on Adam. We're going to look at the verse real clearly in in Genesis 3. And man's sin made God created work harder. God curses the ground, not the work of cultivating the ground. And is this this written in your, that's what I was trying to find out. Is this written in at all or not? Okay, Genesis 3.17 is not. I I don't know if I have it up here or not. Here it is. Okay, here's Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. He didn't say cursed are you. Or cursed is work because God already gave him work and God would give him work after this. He said cursed is the ground. He was already tilling the soil, but now the soil would be really hard. So yes, can work be burdensome? Absolutely. Is it harder than it would have been prior to the fall? Absolutely. Is work itself in and of itself a curse? No. It's still the call of God. And so we talked about in history a little bit looking back and if I were to if I were to throw out the word Protestant Reformation maybe some names would come to your mind Martin Luther, right? Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin. I mean these are men that we hear and they basically stood against the Catholic Church. They said, "Hey, it is not the work of a man to save himself," right? It was faith. It was grace. The church can't trump the word of God. Sola Scriptura, the word of God is our sole authority for life and practice. Wow. Will I live selfishly for... No. You know, sola Deo Gloria. It is for God's glory alone that we live and breathe and have our existence. But there's something else these men and women that labored during the Reformation gave us. And they didn't just reform the church by kicking out indulgences and doing away with purgatory, doing away with the infallibility of the Pope and all of those things that went on. 
They also gave us a thing called the Protestant work ethic. How many of y'all have heard of the Protestant work ethic? Raise your hand. We're going to take just a second and hit what the Protestant work ethic came from when they looked at Scripture and looked at the truths in God's word. They didn't just reform the church. They reformed the way the Western world would actually go about work. And we're going to see what happened on the tail end of that. And so in here, it emphasized work as the will of God for everyone, not just the poor. Prior to that time, if you were a king or you were a ruler, you didn't work. Work was something for them, not for you. Now, we don't see that reflected in Scripture. In Scripture, God isn't just passive. God is active. And so they saw that in Scripture, so they bring that out. And they're like, hey, man, everybody should be working. God works. We should work to reflect God to everybody else. Second deal, it endorsed all work with an equal dignity. Now, remember, they're reforming the church. And in reforming the church, there was this thing called clergy and this thing called laity. Right? If you ask my dad, I remember as a kid driving home from church and he would say, well, I heard the Smiths were in the hospital this week and the pastor didn't even go to visit them. There was this indignant tone in his voice and he was angry. And then the next week it would be somebody else was sick or something and the pastor didn't spend enough time with them. And I remember even as a kid sitting in this Pontiac Bonneville station wagon with the wood paneling down the side that peeled off after about seven or eight years of the sun hitting it and drying it out. You guys know that probably. And I learned to drive in that vehicle, by the way. Um, I just remember sitting there thinking, there's one pastor and there's like 700 of us. Something's wrong. If you've noticed all these needs, then why aren't you going to the hospital or why aren't you making food and going to the family and helping them? And somehow within the Protestant life, early on, everybody was a priest. They call it the priesthood of the believer. In Baptist faith, that's what we're about. That's why we don't have a pope in Baptist faith is because the Holy Spirit dwells as much in Travis Herzog as Adam Robertson, as Eric Reed, as Greg Mott, as Billy Graham. And maybe we've been called to a different vocation, but we haven't been called to a lesser investment of our lives in the kingdom of God. Our work is kingdom work, all of us. Does that make sense? And so as we think about these things, the Protestant work ethic, man, equal dignity for everything that is done. It encouraged honesty and diligence in work while investing, not consuming the profits from work. And this is real important. There was a lot of affluence that would follow the Protestant Reformation in the Western world. But one thing these guys did was they lived moderately and they took their money and they invested their money in the improvement of people's lives, in the improvement of society, and all of those things. And, yeah, I'm not going to go off on capitalism. There's a good side of it and there's a real dark side of it. It depends on ethics and values, really, is what 
take something that could be really good and makes it really bad or take something that's maybe bent and broken and we restore it to what it should be. Capitalism would flow out of this stuff. And the two primary results of this would be sudden economic expansion. In the 300, 400 years following the Protestant Reformation, there was literally this economic expansion in the Western world that had never been seen before. And it wasn't about servants. It was about everybody working hard together to improve society and to advance society. And the second deal was personal prosperity. That as society was expanding and going well, that people found out that they actually were also doing better. Now we can get into the Industrial Revolution and look at the rise of the inner city and the factory worker and some of the slum situations that happened. Again, I point back to that's not the flaw of the system. That was a lack of values and ethics that took place. And so what I, what I want to do is, Real quickly, there's a book written on this called The Protestant Ethic and the, and the Spirit of Capitalism by Max Weber. It was written in the early 1900s. It's still in print. It's a textbook used in tons of universities. But he was a, a German sociologist that basically looked at all of this from the Protestant Reformation on and how work changed and how that laid the foundation and the framework for capitalism. It's a pretty, you know, pretty cool deal. For him to have seen that. But it's also in the scriptures themselves. So key scriptures that summarizes. This highest view is. The best easiest is Colossians 3. Is to go there. And I'm going to give you two versions of it. It says whatever you do. Do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive. The reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ. Whom you serve. That's not a bad, since we spend 60% of our adult lives at work, that's not a bad verse to memorize. It really isn't. 60% of our our waking hours as adults are going to be in the marketplace in some form or fashion. The second version of this is work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you were working for the Lord and not merely for your masters, remembering that it is the Lord Christ who is going to pay you, giving you your full portion of what he owns. He is the one you are really working for. There is a ton of the higher view of work coming out of these verses, both in who we work for and who we don't. And I want to click through them very quickly. And here we see that all work is a calling from God. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, it either means whatever you do or it doesn't mean whatever you do. There are lots of words that could have been used there. So whatever your job is, you're serving Christ. It's what If you take the first and the last, it's one big sentence, one big statement. So all of work, all work is a calling from God. This gives us value in what we do, and it gives us accountability in what we do. Value and accountability flow out of everything being a calling from God. Second deal, all work is working for God. It says, do your work for God, not just for men. We are working for God. Mr. McNair McNair might own the team. And if you work for the Texans, yes, he signs your paycheck. But guess who you are truly working for? Christ. You're truly there as his ambassador. 
called of him to be salt and light there in the Texans franchise. Even if you're in the ticket booth, everything you're doing should be done unto the Lord, working hard for him. He will be the one that will bring the reward to you. That gives us, in a very clear sense, a sense of authority. We work for a higher authority. It also gives us ethics. And and God does know that we need that in the marketplace. The last 10 years in the business world could be rewritten on totally different storylines based off of this one awareness. That God is with us at work. He's called us to work and we work for a higher authority. And that we'll never bypass his commandment to turn a buck for anybody. And if that means we lose our job, or what was that story about those three guys and they, they wouldn't like they wouldn't compromise and so they get thrown into this fiery place and that's sheer death, guaranteed death. Right? Or there was that, that guy and I can't remember his name, but he, he wouldn't bow down and worship a man until he gets thrown into the lion's den. You know, they they all died. They they got burned up and he got eaten by the lion, right? No. If we serve a higher power and we don't compromise his principles and his precepts and his laws and we stand firm on those truths, eternal truths, God is with us. What else is Christmas about, right? Emmanuel. But we don't really embrace it and believe it when we compromise at work because we're afraid of losing a job or we're afraid of not getting a promotion and we put stuff and career over the real calling of God upon our life. I'm not trying to beat y'all up. I'm trying to speak truth and encourage you and exhort you that the one thing we need to see in America is a company like Chick-fil-A that gives employees fair wages, that gives employees time off, that says, you know what? Yeah, we're going to miss millions of dollars of business on Sunday because people eat out after church as a family. Sure, we're going to miss all. Wow, we aren't missing a beat. We're doing all right. We're making it. We're honoring God. We're being realistic. We're being, you know, it's like they're, in a sense, they're trying to do it the right way. And that didn't just happen in, by accident. That's intentional. Truett Cathy had a vision as he was teaching young men Sunday school in Atlanta, Georgia. He knew <laughs> I want something more than just a restaurant, more than just a franchise. I want it to be bigger. I want it to be kingdom. And they have funded, they tithe corporately, and they have funded lots and lots and lots of ministries. They've established a marriage ministry on the south side of Atlanta where ministers can go for free and get marriage counseling because they saw failures happening in in marriages. It's, It's an amazing, amazing deal. All work should get my best. It says do your work heartily. Not half-baked. Not lackadaisically. And that speaks of our effort. That speaks of enthusiasm. That speaks of excellence. All work should get our best. And fourth, all work done rightly is promised rewards from God. Notice it says from the Lord you will receive your reward. That reward will take a lot of different forms. Maybe prosperity, maybe not. Maybe influence, maybe not. Surprises, definitely. 
if you're laboring hard and you're being a, a man of character, a man of integrity, you may find that you have favor in the eyes of your employer. Or as I met with someone yesterday that is one of the presidents of a company and he is trying to take a stand in the work world, he's lost. He just he didn't lose a job. He just lost a battle he had been fighting for three years with a board of directors. He just lost it. And uh, he was really discouraged. And I was like, you know, you're fighting the right fight. And you're standing on the principles of God's word. And I said, you maybe feel like this is a failure, but God has allowed this to come to pass. And it was dealing with an ethical reform that their business was trying to implement. And, and so it really, uh, really was a challenge for them as a, as a man that's been, been working there. I want to share real quickly, because in real life, there was a man named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce was called of God. And I want to read an excerpt from a book called Made to Count from Bob Record. He is a, a, a great pastor, a great teacher, a great writer. And here's what it says. In 1785, a 27-year-old member of the English Parliament, William Wilberforce, wrote a letter to John Newton requesting a secret meeting. Now, John Newton, some of y'all know him. He wrote the song uh, Amazing Grace. Very, very popular song and all of that. Well, here it is. At this time, John Newton was just a, an English pastor. That's all he was. He was a small English pastor. Wasn't well known for anything in particular. Well, William Wilberforce went to this 27-year-old you know, guy parliament, goes here, and talks to him about entering the ministry. And here's what the book recounts. I have come to a crisis in my soul, said the grim-faced member of parliament. I'm afraid of turning my back on Christ, but I also fear losing face and prestige with my colleagues. If my constituents were to hear that I have embraced religion, my career would be over. For the next few hours, Newton explained the way of the cross to Wilberforce. The way of the cross, not the way of comfort, not the way of success and prosperity, the way of the cross to Wilberforce. And in the end, Wilberforce wept and gave his life to Christ. Now, this isn't the end of the story. He was ready to forsake his career and follow Newton into the ministry. But Newton counseled against it. There's nothing in the Bible that says you cannot be both a Christian and a politician, he said. Wilberforce accepted this advice and decided to remain where he was and serve God. He went public with his newfound faith and endured endless ridicule because of it. But finally, after winning grudging respect from his contemporaries, he turned his considerable energy towards abolishing the slave trade, a blight on the soul of the British Empire. It was exhausting work, demanding everything Wilberforce had. Without a faith in his calling, and hear that, vocation, right? Calling, lesser men would have turned back. Every year for the next 17 years, Wilberforce would lobby hard and then make a motion to abolish the British slave trade. And every year for the next 17 years, his motion would be defeated. I mean, do you all understand this? How many of y'all have been out of college 17 years? Raise your hand. I've been out 17 years. Okay. For those of us that have been out 17 years, imagine if all the years you've been laboring, 
for one thing, it's failed every time. How discouraging would that be? Right? Give it up, baby. Give it up. Slavery is always going to be. Slavery is always going to be. Or whatever you've seen that God's put on your heart, just how it is. It's always going to be that way. 17 years, it got defeated. But Wilberforce never forgot the words of Newton and the conviction that he was called to serve Christ in the parliament. Not to serve Christ on Sundays, and then I'm a parliamentary you know, guy on Monday through Friday, but to serve Christ where? In his job. That's what vocation means. Wherever you are working, serve Christ there. Wilberforce, at, here it is. Uh, and in 1806, after 18 years of hard work, Wilberforce finally got what he had longed for. The slave trade in England was abolished, but he wasn't satisfied. Never flinching from his call, Wilberforce continued to work tirelessly against the entire institution of slavery. After 27 more years of hard work, just four days before his death in 1833, Parliament passed a vote to abolish slavery in all British territories. Understand that, and there's, there's a movie out, if you haven't seen it, I love this. Ah, ha, ha, I had to pull that off. Okay. Um, yeah, it's cheesy, I know. Uh, Amazing Grace is the story behind that. It's not a big budget film. There's not like the best acting in the world, but it's actually a very well done film. And you can buy it. We, I bought it, uh, I think, two or three months ago at Sam's. They had it at Sam's. You get previewed at, at you know Blockbuster, any of those. But it would be worth buying especially if you have kids, no matter what the age of the kids is, to cast vision for, the, for your children or cast vision you know, for your wife if she's not on board with this, if you're both working and it's all about the bottom line because she likes to shop and she doesn't understand any other view of work, you know, of work. Well, my call to you is that you're to lead your family and you're to serve your family and you're to make the case that I'm making to you right now where you work and you're to make that case in your Sunday Bible study classes, you're going to make that case in your families that work is more than this. So the bottom line is this. We're getting ready to break to our tables and have a conversation. And after that, you're going to be dismissed. And when you're dismissed, you're going to you know, basically go, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And you're going to head off to work. You're in control of what you view work as. You're in control of that. You're in control of what your attitude is as you drive to work, as you close up your car, as you go from your parking spot into the elevator, and you see the people that you've seen every day, maybe over the last 20 years. I don't know how long you've been there. Or maybe it's the first day on a new job. Every person you come in contact with, everything your hand is laid onto, you can have purpose beyond just philanthropy, beyond just a paycheck, beyond that this is a necessary evil. You can have that. Yes, you want recognition. Yes, you want success. Yes, you want it to be a good fit. Yes, you want fair compensation. Yes, you want camaraderie, right? Yes, we want all of those things. But one thing we could lack, and it would waste it all away, is if we don't have the right view of work, we will foolishly squander the greatest opportunity of 60% of your adult life, which is making an impact at work in the lives around us. So I want to pray over you today. 
that, that you see work as not just the nine to five. I'm waiting until I retire. There's no retirement in scripture. It's called heaven. And in heaven, I don't believe we're going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp. I believe that this is, this is literally, in God's eyes, this is the interview process, and this is the job training school for heaven. That heaven will be a place full of creativity and full of energy and full of expansion, and that he is looking for stewards for his kingdom. And we don't see it all around us right now, but how we labor, how we love, and how we live matters. And it will matter in eternity. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that in this life that you have not called us just to sit by. Not just to consume around us. But God, to co-create with you. To work. To be about your kingdom and your business, God. Father, we rejoice at Christmas time that you actually just came. And you created a beachhead in the flesh of your word. And just as Normandy was the key to taking the rest of the evil empire down, God, the incarnation was the beginning of the end for us to be enslaved by sin, enslaved by apathy, enslaved by selfishness. And Father, as men that have been set free from you, God, I pray, Lord, we live that way. Forgive me, God, when I reduce the things that I do to mere job status and not vocational status. Father, I thank you that you call us to you. I thank you that you have given gifts to these men. Some of the smartest men I know are in this room right now. Some of the hardest working people I know are in this room right now. And God, I also know some of the most frustrated people that I know are in this room right now. God, speak your word into us as we dialogue together on this. We don't want work to be work. We don't want to have the prevailing view of work, God. We want a kingdom view of it, so give it to us. May we labor for it. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. In Christ's name that we pray.